Hi, I'm Joe White, the voice of Chris Redfield. When I'm not surviving the horror of the Spencer Mansion, I'm listening to the Crimson Head Elder Podcast. Can you see that area behind me beneath the red-tinted sky? That is what's left of Raccoon City. Our platoon is cut off! I'd rather starve to death in here than be eaten by one of those undead monsters! We're both gonna die! Wait, don't shoot! Down! I lost all my men because of her! All is lost. Cries of agony. Unity breeds power! Welcome to the Crimson Head Elder Podcast, your favorite podcast about your favorite video game. We're the number one survival horror podcast on iTunes, and here's why. Our first of three live Halloween interviews with the most beloved and iconic of all the Resident Evil actors in our mansion this evening, the quintessential Jill Valentine actor from Resident Evil Remake, Heidi Anderson Swan. We are particularly privileged because this is the first time, Heidi, that you've been interviewed on the Resident Evil game. And for many, it's always put at the top of their list as the most beloved character, also their most beloved incarnation of that character, your portrayal of Jill Valentine. I'll let the other two guys introduce themselves, but for me, George Trevor, I just wanted to thank you so very, very much for joining us on this very special Halloween edition of the Crimson Head Elder podcast. It's my pleasure to be here. Thanks for joining us, Heidi. It's um, amazing to finally meet you. I'm BSA Arkley. You now complete my stars collection. I've talked to every member of the stars. Now, now that I'm talking to you, I've spoke to every member of the stars, which is fantastic. Great. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Let me just say, Andrew just mentioned that um, he completed his stars collection. Well, not only is are you my first stars member to interview, uh, you are also my first podcast. So I consider it double whammy, <laughs> basically. <laughs> double the pleasure. I go by Sonny Bauer on the Crimson Head Elder forums. It's so nice to meet you. It's nice to meet you. And this is my first podcast as well. At least we share that in common. <laughs> we do. We do. Resident Evil Chick 99 asks, Heidi has done an amazing job voicing my absolute favorite, favorite female video game protagonist of all time. I mean, she is up there with uh, Barbara Batgirl Gordon as my personal female role models. Female characters such as Jill have always inspired me to keep on going no matter how bad things got in their life and to just keep going. Level-headed and just survives the hell out of a nightmarish experience in the Spencer Mansion and facing each challenge ahead with determination. What do you think of Jill's development starting from the Spencer Mansion to RE5? First, just want to say that it's just a thrill that people even think of me at all, you know, in this role. And it was a joy to do and a thrill for me to watch recently. I have not followed the Resident Evil series, so I could not comment on the development of the character. Only because... Andrew and Paul reached out to me. Did I actually look into Resident Evil and to and to see what the what the talk was all about? My eyes were really wide open. I was like, "What? <laughs> <laughs> I I don't really? Oh my gosh!" And and then you know to find to hear my voice on YouTube on these cutscenes. Now I had I did have two experiences over the years that would have given me a clue but I didn't think that much about them. One of my family members was in the hospital and I was there regularly visiting and one of the nurses said, "Oh, well, was there anything I could have seen you in?" And that's a standard question when you say you're an actor. And I said, "Well, I did some video games." And he said, "Well, what video games?" And I said, "Resident Evil." And he just looked at me and he said, "You did?" <laughs> and I, said, I said yeah and he said which one and I said well I did the second one and he said well what character and I said Jill Valentine and he was like 
are you serious? And, and he just, I mean, you could see he was really, and yeah. I was like, yeah, yeah. And he was like, wow, I'm going to have to go back and look at my, my video. And then he said, what's your name again? And I told him and he's like, okay. And then I didn't see him again after that. Yeah. Swept away with phantom that he couldn't face you again. Yeah. Or yeah. Or he just wasn't scheduled. <laughs> and, then, and then a couple years ago, I took my son and my stepson to GameStop. We're not gamers in this house. My husband doesn't game. I don't game. My son, the only game that he ever played was Lego Batman. Just NBA and Lego Batman. And that is his, that's it. And so we were going to sell a couple of those Lego Batman videos and, and pick up the newest NBA 2K. And while we were in there, I thought, oh, you know, they've got all these old video games. I should ask if they have the Resident Evil yeah. game that I was in because it'd be fun to show the boys. They don't know about what I used to do. And so I asked the lady behind the counter, I said, do you have Resident Evil? And she said, yeah, yeah, I do. And so she handed me the game and I turned it over and I said, hey, guys, look, see, there's my name right here. And she goes, you were in that? And I said, yeah. And she goes, who, who were you? And I told her and she was like, <laughs> Oh my gosh. I mean, she, she really, it was really a moment for her. She took pictures. She was yeah. like, it was a big deal. Yeah. And my son and my stepson were like, what is this? And so we were all kind of surprised by it. You got off fairly easy with that fan interaction because if you met the wrong Resident Evil fan, they wouldn't have left you alone. They just implored. <laughs> oh, is that right? Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Jill Valentine is probably, arguably, the number one character of the series. I was looking online and she's like top five female video game characters. Like, not just really? Resident Evil, the entire video time. game genre. Her fans particularly are, are well known for being quite passionate. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, all right. I got you. Here's, here's my question I have for you. It seems like guys like to play her. Now, don't yeah. guys normally uh, play guys? When the original game came out in 96, I was eight years old. When you did the remake, Heidi, I was probably about 14. But when I was eight years old, I played as Jill. I don't know. As a little kid, I got so mesmerized. We would play in the backyard, and I would pretend that I was tough girl Jill Valentine. <laughs> I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't even want to be. I didn't even want to be like any of the other characters in there. These are universal traits and, and feelings and experiences that someone can go through. I was able to immerse myself in the character. Gender specific didn't come into it. Didn't feature. Interesting. That's so interesting. You know. <laughs> you know. She's very like you guys have said, level-headed and brave. And I think the characters that I've played in other games, I played, uh, I was in Xena Warrior Princess video game. I played her sidekick in that. She's tough, but she's a little, she's not tough the way Xena is. You know? <laughs> she's, she's goofier and funnier and a little more naive. And I think probably more similar to the characters that I've I mean, I played on stage, I played diabolical wife who's cheating on her husband, you know, in a comedy. And this is, she's definitely the the strongest character that I've ever played. I mean, I have to oh, say, wow. definitely the most heroic for sure. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And especially watching, watching the the game and seeing what she's done. I can understand why the guys are glad to play her because she's not a mm. quote unquote female character whether that be in video games or on tv or in films i mean she's really she's just as much of a hero as any of the guys and they send her off you know they say okay jill go figure that out and it's not like well i can't do it without you <laughs> you know she yeah. says, all right and she just marches on you know and he's like we're gonna split up again she says all right let's go you know, and, and so I think that yeah. I love that. I love that she's as strong as she is. And I think that that is a good role model. And it's not all about being a, a beautiful character to look at, but a capable thinking human being. And so I, I respect that. Mm. You've been so incredibly kind to reprise your role as Jill Valentine exclusively for Crimson Head Elder. You're going to be reading in character from our translation of the Japanese drama album Biohazard The Machova Village Tragedy. This canon Japanese audio play has never been translated before and this really will be the first time an English-speaking audience can enjoy what is an official Resident Evil installment. 
I must say, while it is, it, it's another site exclusive for us, but to have you, Heidi, the quintessential voice of Jill, read both the opening and closing monologues from our translation in character again after all these years is truly a, um, a very, very special event for us. And we adore these characters. I've said it before, as much as other people follow and enjoy similarly realised characters in both film and television, we're starved. We're starved of these characters and the wonderful artists like yourself that bring them to life. I'll tell my husband that. They're starved of me, Joe. Yeah. They're starved. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, my God. Yeah, we're going to hear from Oh, no, I shouldn't have said that. Tomorrow That's morning, hilarious. I'll try and call you no, and, and your funny. agent will phone. <laughs> <laughs> I'll enjoy it. Thank okay. you. You guys, this has just been so great. You're all really wonderful. To read our premiere translation of the audio drama The Makoa Village Tragedy, starring Jill Valentine, head over to the Crimson Head Elder website at www.crimson-head.com. That's crimson-head.com. And included as a very special feature with that translation are these two in-character recordings by Heidi Anderson Swan of the play's opening and closing monologues by Jill Valentine. My name is Jill Valentine. I am a member of Raccoon City Police Department STARS Alpha Team. A few days ago, Bravo Team went missing and were searching for them in Raccoon Forest. Experiencing deep shock at the hands of these mysterious monsters, we took refuge in a mansion. There were three of us. Captain Albert Wesker, Barry Burton, and myself. We're searching this mansion separately there seems to be countless monsters. I'm leaving this memo as record in case I'm unable to make it back alive. Chris, before I begin, there is one thing I need to report. An incident took place in a remote village a few days before this mission. I did not think these two incidents were related until I arrived in this mansion. Given the current situation, it seems we cannot now rule that out. To ensure my report is not lost to the shadows, I'll write out the entirety of that incident one more time. I was in the middle of a vacation in Los Angeles when Captain Wesker asked me to return to Raccoon City because of the incident that would occur. I made it back to a place just 40 kilometers outside of the city. Suddenly, a truck recklessly flew from nowhere and crashed into my vehicle. That morning, we rode the river downstream and made it back to town, where we were rescued. Several hours after that, the village was blockaded by the military. The details of the incident have been kept classified. The mystery has been sealed off. Regarding this incident, I've heard rumors that there was pressure coming from a certain large corporation, but the discussion around this is not clear. Lorraine and Toby are in a police hospital and are being examined carefully. The doctor says they both need mental treatment. However, I believe in them. I know they'll be okay. It is now believed that the key to solving every mystery lies in Raccoon Forest. Us members of Alpha Team have come to Raccoon Forest in search of Bravo Team who have disappeared. It's been three days since that incident. It was wonderful to go to the forums and to see the, you know, the pouring in of, of fans there are other fans just like me who are like, what? You got Heidi? She's my favorite voice of Jill as well. So yeah. it's it's there. It's definitely there. The love is there. Oh, thank you. Her scenario in the game also has better character relationships. She's got a tense relationship with her partner, Barry Burton, and he's kind of like the one who gets blackmailed by the villain in the game. So there's that whole like, you know, story like element to it. It's a more interesting narrative, isn't it? Yeah, because when you play as Chris, you have to be more independent. Puzzles are harder. He starts off with a knife as opposed to a gun like Jill. Uh, and he kind of has to babysit the rookie of the team, Rebecca Chambers. And there's no Barry character in that one. Oh, yeah. I see. I see it's, why that would be interesting. More interesting. Yeah. Speaking mm -hmm. of um, Barry, are we ready for the next question? Yeah. This is from Resident Evil Chick still, and she says, Have you seen Jill's email to Barry, a file from Revelations 2? If so, what did you think about how she sounded in that email? 
you know, if if I compare it to uh, the Resident Evil game that I did, um, it's it has it's a very different in tone. It it just sounded really different. It would just be interesting to know, you know, where the writers are going with this because I'm sure they've got more games planned in the future. So I would just wonder what their over what their arc is, you know, um, overall for the game and for the characters. So, but yeah, it did sound a vastly different approach from when I did it. What I love about um, your impression, Heidi, is that it seems to encompass so many universal qualities in like, I guess, like a, a heroic type of person, but also while showing empathy for other for the partners that you're uh, in the game with. But then the moment that like, you know, it, it comes down to it, you got to be tough. Don't get on our bad side. But you have like all those qualities. And I feel like with the more recent take on on Jill, it just seems more okay, I'm just going to be tough girl, say a couple lines, just like here, we've got a job to do, more more soldier-esque. They kind of lost like yeah. the, the human feel of it. On my end, you know, for me as a, as a person and as an actress, I am a very sensitive and very emotional. And I'm not sure that this is absolutely what happened, but I but listening to my performance, I'm pretty sure this is what happened, is that I was more emotional in my readings. And the director told me, no, she needs to be in control. She is much stronger than you're portraying. And I was like, oh, okay. So my tendency is to go more towards the um, the compassion and emotional side. And, and then he led me to um, be sure that I was also strong. And so that I really feel like was a very good experience between the actor and the director, you know, to come up with this right mix, because I can see how that worked. Those elements in just the right balance work out. Um, but my instincts would have told me to go more emotional and be more yeah. sensitive. And I think your instincts are absolutely right, because that's what helps us as players connect with the character that it's not a, a superhero heroine, you know, kind of Wonder Woman as it is a strong female lead to, to make her almost, you know, hero-esque, uh, you know, the female version of Captain America. So, yeah. you know, I'm really pleased that you had that instinct to include the emotions because that's what I liked about the character. It, it, she very much felt like someone who, you know, a, a real person and not a superhero. It seems like for this game in particular, it's like Capcom somehow like in this perfect sort of like bubble rounded up like the most humane of the portrayals. All the actors I feel for this one were the most human forms of the characters that they portrayed. Later on, they seem to have taken a more stereotypical type of route with the villain in this one. He just sounds like the captain of the team turned bad. But then later on, he sounds more mustache twirly. So it's it's very okay. <laughs> it's it's very interesting. I I feel like like you know along with with yourself, Capcom just somehow perfectly rounded up like the most human elements of the characters for this game. It's very interesting. Thank you. That's a compliment, and I and I appreciate it. Is that you, Jill? Is that voice Enrico's? Yeah. You're alive. Stop. Are you with anybody, Jill? No. But why? The stars are finished. Someone is a traitor. Umbrella set us up. Enrico! Traitor? Who? JC Wesker asks, Heidi brought such strength and gravitas to the role, while at the same time injecting a level of depth and integrity that is so often lacking in female protagonists. How did you feel, Heidi, about taking on the role of Jill Valentine, a lead protagonist in a remake of what was a 1996 survival horror classic? And what did you want to bring to the role personally? You know, I had no idea about the game before. I just read and did my best and they, you know, they walked me through what was happening in each scene and I did my best to, to respond. Um, I mean, that's just so uh, flattering what he has to say about the depth and gravitas. I mean, I just, it, it's really nice to hear. I wonder if that helped with like your performance because had you known like, oh, I'm going to be Jill Valentine, this Miss Rambo, and I'm going to play it, maybe you wouldn't have gone in with this aspect of like fear and like vulnerability and stuff. 
I think so. Like you just described, there's no there's no pressure on you to do something a certain way um, because there's no preconceived idea about it. You know, yeah. I'm just going in as an actress and trying to follow directions, think about what my objectives are and all of that. You know, I'm just approaching it as an actress and not necessarily as, oh, it's this game. Oh, it's this famous game. And this is a famous <laughs> character. No, not not at all. I wouldn't worry about so much about not playing the other games because the, the game that you starred in was like the peak of the series. <laughs> so, uh, Is it and, really? And, and, yeah, and you lived it, so you don't need to play it. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. So you're good. <laughs> okay, JC Wesker also asks, how were you initially contacted by Capcom and what was the whole audition process like? In my agent's office, there is a voiceover booth and you can go in and record in there. And oftentimes with video games, there's there's a lot of dialogue to record. The first time I met everybody was at the job. We recorded in a place called Sound Deluxe. That's where they were and that's where we all came together in a beautiful recording studio. Did you ever meet any of the other stars, members, voice actors? And do you have any memorable moments of the production process? You're so dependent on your relationship with the director because there are, you don't have anybody to play off of except mm -hmm. for what they're telling you is, is happening. It's admirable that you can manage to put through the emotions without the experience of the other actor to play off you. It's like fantasy play, you know? They just, they, like, he'll explain what's happening and you go, oh, oh, really? Oh, uh, you know, <laughs> and you can <laughs> get in there. And of course they can't recreate these snakes and guns and dogs and, you know, wolves and zombies, you know, they can never create them so they can just, but he can extract the emotion out if, you know, if you allow your head to go there. And so it was just, it's so fun. If you allow yourself to just relax and have fun with it. They had a camera on me so that they could not just record my voice, but see what the expression on my face was and what my body was doing in case that would help the animation designers. And I always thought, oh, to see that video, you know, <laughs> to see that video would be hilarious because you are, you're alone in a booth and, you know, you imagine walking around, you know, you've got your gun in front of you and you're like, oh, Barry, Wesker, you know, <laughs> how hilarious that's, that must look. You better not do anything to upset Capcom because they've got that on you. They, you know, they can release at any time. <laughs> I know, right? And I actually, I, I actually thought, oh my gosh, what if there is some behind the scenes? And I <laughs> and I looked for that, and I found um, a little behind the scenes, but it was in Japan. I think they were doing it for the motion actors, and I was like, oh, that no, that's not me. Those, <laughs> but yeah, it would be hilarious. That would be hilarious to see that one day. And then I was also told, and this was, at, I think, during a, a different game that I did, but I have a tendency to look at the mic while I'm acting. And so my eyes cross. <laughs> so, I, I mean, I must look just hideous. Why am I looking at the microphone? I don't know, but I... So... I mean, that so now you're, and you were being off. videotaped. And I was being videotaped. So they must have me cross-eyed on videotape somewhere, <laughs> you know, with my gun out trying being all cool and tough and everything, cross-eyed. So, <laughs> they've, yeah. they've got the dirt on you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think we now know why you weren't asked back to do the mocap. There you go. There you go. <laughs> That must have been yeah. some early form of like motion capture, maybe uh, mostly focusing on on the faces of the characters. Maybe they took the expressions that you were making along with the dialogue and then, and then the face model that they used, Julia Voth. Maybe they kind of like in the editing room kind of just like melded the two together to get like the expressions and to be able to do it with the graphics for the time. I mean, this is back in 2002 on the GameCube. Yeah. This is when graphics were really, really starting to look realistic, but not quite... Mm as animated with full body motion capture. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's interesting. We've been talking about the look of Jill Valentine and also mm. what support you're given. And mm. JC Wesker asks in that vein, to what extent were you aware of the look of Jill Valentine? For example, were you provided by the development team with concept art of Jill so you could get a feel, you know, a feel of the character, a feel of what she looks like, and that in turn may, you know, may have aided your performance? 
I have a vague recollection of them showing me a picture of the character, and I don't remember it influencing me all that much because that wasn't really the focus. We were really performance-driven. I don't think anybody's asked this, so I'll ask it now, but did they ask you to like voice match the original Joe? Not at all. I didn't even know there was one. They may have mentioned that it was a remake. They may have mentioned it, but gaming was has never been my world. I mean, it would probably would have just gone right over my head. <laughs> but no, they weren't. No, they didn't. weren't interested in making me sound anything other than the way I sound. The next question actually kind of plays into that. This is still from J.C. Wesker. He asks, "Were you aware of the lasting impact of your Jill?" And would such infamous B-movie phrases such as Master of Unlocking or Jill Sandwich have any meaning to you? (laughs) Well, I looked them up. (laughs) Both from the original game. Both from the original. So it's not necessarily me because I did look them up and I saw how the original actress did it and, you know, said it and did the whole Jill Sandwich thing. And then saw (laughs) how then it was done in the, the production that I did. And so I could compare the two. But so yeah. I wouldn't necessarily attribute those to me. Well, the Jill Sandwich thing is said to her by Barry. But I think it's just interesting that your impact on the character has kind of resonated amongst the fans that when people think of their signature Jill, it's very much your incarnation that always comes up. Is that true? It, yeah. really, it really is. A lot of fans think you're the quintessential Jill Valentine. Oh, that's so yeah. nice. Myself I mean, included. I mean, oh, thank you. I'm really surprised to hear that. We connect with these characters, and I the reason I really enjoyed the game and it had an impact on me like no other video game was the narrative was so deep and the characters mm-hmm. were so multidimensional and had mm-hmm. such biographies. And I think you've come, and I'm really pleased. I feel, you know, I feel privileged that we've been able to bring to you the awareness that Jill has such a huge biography. It's very much your incarnation and your portrayal of the character that is thought of as the quintessential representation of Jill Valentine. When it comes to to her as a character and the relationships that she has with her character, she knows what to do, but she's got this down-to-earth personality. And it comes across like this like empathetic way about her as just a person. You could go on the job, you could be tough, get the job done, have to put your head in the game, but then still come back and be a human. Your voice comes across as a more mature-sounding voice. Whereas I I feel like a lot of other female video game characters, they always like to uh, take like a youthful or more juvenile route. Mm. And definitely very interesting considering her age. Like, you know, she comes across as like a mature woman at such a young age. I'm honored because that's all you want to do. And when, you know, when we're creating as an actor or as a writer is to be able to connect with other human beings and for people to say, yeah, I feel like that too, you know, and so that means a lot to me. Peter Jessup, the guy who plays Wesker in, in your game, he said that the game was described to him as like an interactive experience. So it was taken more like a movie. So I think mm-hmm. the game was taken like a more realistic approach than like other video games. Oh, there you go. Yeah, maybe. Because gaming just wasn't gaming like, like it is now. Not everybody had a common language, you know, around it. And so we were approaching it, I think, from a completely just an actor's point of view as opposed to from a gaming point Mm. of view. That was like the turning point where games started to become more cinematic. Mm. It's just been a thrill for me to have you guys reach out to me about this because I had no idea, none. Basically, it smashed a lot of records when it was re-released on HD because the game came out in 2002. But in 2015, mm-hmm. um, they re-released it on high definition for the current generation of consoles. And- it sold more than one million copies worldwide. It set a new record for the biggest selling day one digital title in the PlayStation Network in North America and Europe. It was also Capcom's fastest selling digital title in the company's history for North America and Europe. And it was the top selling game for PS3 and PS4 for January for the month it came out, despite the fact that it launched on January 20th, only 11 days shy of the end of the month. It beat out games like Saints Row, Dying Light, Lego video game movie and a WWE game. And that was a re-release of a 10-year-old game. <laughs> wow, that's incredible. Yeah, and that's resonated with a whole new younger audience. Really? Oh, that's incredible. That's great. I mean, it looks beautiful. I have to say, I was looking at it going, oh, I see what the attraction is. I mean, the production value is very high. I love the music, everything. And the look, the look just oh. pulled me in. I felt like I was there, you know. 
Wesker! Thank you, Barry. Well, what do you know? Oh, don't blame Barry for everything. I hear that his better half and two lovely daughters will be in danger if he doesn't do everything I tell him to. <sighs> Wesker, you're pathetic. Well, you shouldn't worry too much, dear. You'll be free of all this anyway. Why eliminate stars? Believe it or not, that's Umbrella's intention. <sighs> You're just a slave of Umbrella. Smart girl. But I think you misunderstand me. The things you mention are nothing. I'll burn all of them along with this entire laboratory. Barry, go up on the ground and wait there. Barry? <laughs> you gotta love Barry. He must really be afraid of Umbrella. You and Umbrella took his family, you bastard. Oh. Umbrella? Well, I used some carrots and sticks to cow him, but it had nothing to do with Umbrella. I just used Barry for my personal interests. Though both you and Barry seemed to think I was following Umbrella's orders. What? What are you planning? I guess it's time for show and tell. It's magnificent. For the sake of this thing. You know, I hate goodbyes. Barry! Forgive... me? No, you're not to blame. It's Umbrella and Wesker. Even if it meant my family, I couldn't bear turning my back on my friends again. Damn it! <laughs> Jill and Barry, together. In hell. No, Barry! You viral cultured freak! Barry Burton 88 says Remake was the first video game I played through to the end and that was one night I won't be forgetting for a long time. <laughs> uh, um, now I get to ask the very lady who brought to life the one and only Jill Valentine, the most recognisable oh. and loved member of STARS. Heidi, can you describe what it was like to work with Shinji Mikami and Kobayashi and how much guidance did you receive from either of those godfathers of survival horror? They were marvelous. I mean, just marvelous. I mean, I think, you know, just our discussion about this is a, a real testament to their ability to talk with actors and work with actors, and apparently not just me, you know, for this game, um, but the other actors that you mentioned as well. My instincts were something completely different from what the performance turned out to be. And so they did a marvelous job of working with me as an actress and I worked with them a few times. They were they were terrific. They were terrific. Could not have been nicer and professional and it was, you know, a first rate job all around. I had no idea what was going on. And so they would have to walk me through it. Okay. In this scene, I mean, and then one scene, I got to tell you though, I have not yet seen where Jill does become a sandwich because <laughs> there, and I have a very distinct memory of doing this, of being oh. squished to death. They said, okay, now the walls are, and they're like, be squished to death. And I have a very clear memory of doing that. But I was looking around going, okay, where does it happen? She gets pulled out, but where does she actually get squished all the way? <laughs> Has anybody seen it? You can either have Barry come rescue you, or you can get a fake shotgun and put it on the wall to stop the trap coming down altogether. But if you don't do it one of those two ways, then yeah, you will get squished. Oh God, what did I do now? Jill, you in there? Barry, get me out of here. The door's jammed. Stand back. <clears throat> Grab my hand. <clears throat> Barry. That was a close one. A second late, you would have fit nicely into a sandwich. Really? Thanks. But Barry, didn't you say you were going back to the dining room to find other clues? I'm glad and all, but why are you here? 
I just had something I wanted to check. Anyway, we should get back to searching for Wesker and Chris. Thanks, Barry. I owe you one. James Marcus asks, I was disappointed to say the least when Heidi was not brought back for more Resi episodes starring Jill, as were all of us. We were all disappointed, Heidi, please. She is bar none my favorite voice actor. She had that calming voice, which was imperative to keep calm nerves in that madhouse. Where did Heidi find that natural sounding mix between a calm delivery that did not feel out of place and those lines delivered with shock and fright that did not feel out of place with Jill's calm demeanor? Well, the direction, quite simply the direction. When you're working as a voice actor, they'll say, okay, give me this line and then we're going to do it three different ways. And so, Barry, get me out of here. Barry, get me out of here. Barry, get me out of here. You could deliver it a few different ways and then they... That was great. I saw that was, you guys, but I was right back in the, yeah, in the Spencer yeah, Mansion. Right back to 2002, <laughs> like when the game first came out. <laughs> right. And so then they can say, more panic, more fear. You're going to be squished to death or, or you've just had enough and you're just tired. They can give you a few different ways to do it. And then they pull the one that's the most appropriate or, or fits the scene the best. And they would say, okay, now you're going to be, you know, thrashed around and you're really, really frightened. And, I, and then looking at the, the art and seeing, you know, the character of Jill being wrapped up and hurled around in the mansion and she's screaming. And I don't know that I ever would have imagined that exact scenario, but I can't imagine what it would be like to be thrashed around or horrified that I can't get out of a room or that somebody can't hear me or, you know, and it was interesting watching the, the scenes with the, the walkie talkie. Can you hear me? What? Just really connecting with that. And I think they did a really good job of setting the scene for me as an actress to give them what they what they needed. The emotional sensitive side to you as well, that that balance. Absolutely. I think just those two things together, just perfect balance. It sounds like a, hu a human going through this experience rather than like a like a tough character, just like. Yeah, well, you know, you better get me out of here. Sort of, <laughs> sort of like being like, you know, sort of lighthearted about it or like tough about it. You know, it's actually like, you know, you're you're afraid and you don't know if yeah. you're going to still be alive in the next five seconds. Yeah, you know? it yeah. comes across. It really, it really does. It's fantastic. Oh. Well, thank you. All right, B S A Arkley. He asks, when you think of the character Jill Valentine presently or at the time of recording, what are your impressions of her? I have a completely different impression of her now because. Because when I was doing it, I was just in it. And now you guys brought it to my attention and I sat down and watched it. I mean, it's just a completely different experience for me. And to, you know, to have some distance from it, I, I mean, I can see why the character is appealing. I really can. I can see why the yeah. story is appealing. I totally get it. And and what you were talking about, the gun, where she takes the steals very yeah. gun and it says, should she give it? And, you know, and the player went, yes, no, yes. <laughs> and I was like, what, <laughs> what are they going to do? Well, you know, I really, I was like, oh, no. I mean, I really, I felt the tension as I was watching it. And so oh, I, wow. the impressions I have of her is that, yeah, she's, she's tough and, and she's smart and, and I hope compassionate as well. So I, I, I really enjoyed watching her and I'm so glad you guys reached out so that I could watch it. You mentioned that Barry scene. It just makes it all the more special that you've engaged with with parts of that that make you very much make you Heidi sound like a seasoned gamer that's that's played it as many times as as we have. <laughs> Honest to goodness, that is a very specific character, and there's parts of me that are like that. But as a as a whole, I could not face up to monsters or guys with guns and zombies, and <laughs> just not not with the cool that Jill does. No. But she goes through so much after that. You saying that you have like this emotional or sensitive side to you when you perform, the things that she goes through, I, I, I just, it makes me wonder how, how your take would have been. She gets turned into a villain by Wesker. He attaches a, a device like a, tr like a serum. He can manipulate her with like the press of a button and make her attack uh, Chris Redfield. So when she's given this serum, is she, is there like a part of her that's aware of this happening yeah. or is she fully it, taken it, over? It's fantastic that you say that because she says it right in the scene. She's like, I was aware of my actions, but, but I, I couldn't do anything about it. Yeah. You yeah. know what it's like? It's like um, that film Get Out. 
Anybody else see Get Out? Yeah, I've seen it. Yeah, they um they're aware of what's going on. Yeah, when they uh, yeah manipulate. Yeah, I like that. This whole story unfolded for me when I watched it, and I was like, oh, oh. <laughs> they would just you know walk me through and say, you're suspicious of this guy. That's perfect, though. That that that's yeah. that parallels the character like almost to a T because they're all essentially going into this for the first time and and going into this weird house in the middle of the woods and there's so much illegal experimentation going on and then you've got a double cross and a blackmail with your own like you know team members right next to you like it's 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 amazing it's a very organic they made it a very organic process it seems by the way you're describing it yeah yeah without being disparaging to capcom at the time do you not feel that as an actor your performance would have been aided if they had given you a little bit more information of you know this is barry burton and he you know he's betrayed you and this is albert wesker although you know you're speaking to him as a comrade in the beginning he's actually going to turn out to be the antagonist of the game i don't know i don't know i know i think i i think like already said it feels like more like an acting thing you find out as you go along because then you can discover instead of be anticipating that this person's going to turn out to be bad you know because like you said she as barry does things at first she's a little huh hmm you know that's weird and then you know but she accepts it and moves on and then finally she's that's it i've had enough like george said he doesn't see jill as a as a woman it's just a character and that's kind of the same thing with like Sigourney Weaver or Ellen Ripley in Alien. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's just a great character. You don't think of Ripley and think, oh, that's a girl. It's just Ripley. And that's the same yeah. thing with Jill. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Wow. Well, that's a compliment. So thank you. And you play it for several hours, right? How many hours does it? can you play it for? You can finish it anywhere from, say, three to ten hours. Depends how, how how much fun you want over there and how much you want to explore and stuff. I take no shame in the fact that I've completed the game and I get a low grade. I get like a C grade rather than an A or a B because it's taken me 10. <laughs> I mean, not all in one sitting, but over yeah. a space of like three or four days, it's taken me 10 hours, you know, wow. because yeah, Andrew's right. You you explore, Jill moves around, but the actual her environment is static. Okay. And, and that's where the atmosphere comes from because they're so beautiful and detailed. Yeah, they're plush. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so that makes sense to me then why, you know, um, a game like this would have impact on people because it's it's not like a movie and you get to make choices within the story, you know. Yeah. I mean, like, listen to me, like, I, like this is my first time talking about a video game. But I mean, <laughs> I, can, I, I can identify with why people would, you know, connect with a story where you get to make choices and get to be immersed in a plush environment. When you said about the choices, yeah. and that's what made you think that's how gamers are connecting with this game. Long before I played this video game as a child, I used to read these books in England called fighting fantasy books, where it's like a normal book, but it will say, do you want to go north or do you want to go south? Turn to page 31 or page 50. Oh, wow. So you choose, so you choose where to go. Yeah. But you identified that in this video game as, as, as a connection. Now, I didn't know this until quite recently that one of those books that I'm just reading in England in, in the mid-80s, which is just, you know, an adventurer in a, in a spooky mansion, and it's resonated with me because I can choose whether I go into that door, mm-hmm. in, you know, in that spooky mansion, or I go up to the first floor and, ex- and explore. Mm-hmm. The developer from, from Resident Evil recently came out and actually said that book, I don't know how he managed to, to, to hear of it, you know, in Japan, but at the time, it made its way over there and that was one of the inspirations for the game that you starred in this type of book where you're in a spooky mansion and you can choose which way to go really that's fascinating and and that that was the same book that you read yeah yeah it's called house of hell that was very much an inspiration yeah it's just interesting to me that you you homed in on that connection and that's what's between the video game and the book is that connection of choices that's fascinating and that's it really um serendipitous <laughs> that yeah here you have this website you know and that the same book inspired you both interesting and you connected with his material you know possibly because twice, because twice. of that book yeah yeah, yeah that's yeah. interesting i wouldn't have thought about it until we got this far in the discussion about it and you know and that and people's fondness for the story or particular characters and why that would be so and it's you know it just sounds like it's so immersive Fascinating. So Sonny Bauer, me, um, 
a couple of questions from my favorite voice of Jill Valentine. Oh, thank you. Uh, <laughs> Resident Evil has a tendency to have a character always calling out another character's name. Which can be, which can become memorable. In yeah. Jill's case, that other character is Barry Burton. Can you recall how much time you spent in the studio just recording variations of the line, Barry? It's funny because I read that question and then I was watching the cutscenes of Jill's and and I saw what you were talking about and it's like it's true, Barry or Barry or <laughs> Barry. Yeah, it's it's what's your intention? You know, and what are you trying to do with that, Barry? You know, or Barry, you know, if you're being flung about. So, yeah, you're doing it you know, several <laughs> different ways all day. And you can see how it, it helps, you know, in, in the story. Snap your yeah. fingers and you, you're right back into Jill. When you were saying Barry. Maybe one name or one line of dialogue, but it's right there. Yeah. <laughs> it's oh, right there. Yeah. You yeah. got to understand that we've viewed Jill talk for like the last 15 years. So we've like memorized this. So when you do it, I can tell that that's perfect. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Great. Oh, you guys, this has been really fun for me. So thank you so much. Bloody Eye also asks, is there anything about Jill's character or your performance that you would change if you could? I don't know. And now I have to ask you guys, is there something that people say, oh, but that line that she delivers or, you know, you know, regrettable in, in this way. You guys have to tell me, is there anything if there, out there? If, if there is something, it's probably some, some of the writing of one-liners that I would have a problem with, not necessarily so, your portrayal. It would be just the writing of the line itself. So, for instance... We're already halfway through the interview because I was a bit worried if this was at the start that you'd just walk out on us, Heidi. Um, <laughs> no. no, 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 it's fine, um, it's fine. I, I think a cringeworthy line that I tend to skip in the cutscene, which is at the end of the cutscene anyway, is when the tyrant first bursts out of the, the tube and smacks Barry against the uh, computer console. <laughs> I know where you're going and, with and, this. And Jill says, no, Barry, that part's fine. But then she turns to the tyrant and she goes, you viral cultured freak. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's very specific, isn't it? It's a, yeah, it, and, and like I said, I don't think it's really your performance. I think it's just the, the writing of the line. It just it seems to have gone into that sort of B-movie, I'm going to shout at the monster all of a sudden. Oh, my gosh. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, I could yeah. see that. I could see that. Yeah, so so nothing against you, just just the writing. Your performance, <laughs> to me, is, is the best portrayal of Jill. Heidi, what are the major differences between stage, on-camera, and voice acting in your experience? Continuing on from what, how we were describing what it's like in the booth, you have the opportunity to take a line and do it again and again and again until it is exactly right and they can cherry-pick out the best one for what they're looking for. You can't do that with on-camera work. It's, you know, you've got several other people and it's got to work as an ensemble or if it's your take, it's got to be, you know, with your face and your, you know, your acting all together. It's just less sliced together in the way that uh, a voiceover job is. And, you know, with games, you can do them one line at a time. If you're doing, say, um, voiceover for commercial, they don't like cutting it up. They really want you to, as best as you can, get through the whole paragraph fully. These games, like I said, you can do it one little bit at a time and get it exactly exactly correct and then when you're on the stage you just got to do it <laughs> and you just yeah. gotta be on time and not miss your cue or anything else because you're going to ruin it for everybody there including the paying audience so <laughs> yeah but great yeah. that you know some people might think that video games the acting performance is maybe not taking as seriously as you may find if you are portraying the same equivalent character in a television drama but great mm. to hear that you were mentioning the production values of remake and the fact that they were striving to get that perfection with your delivery. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we talked about with the other actors, we were all really very serious about, about yeah. acting in it. And, you know, yeah, I think there's some goofy lines <laughs> and scenarios <laughs> in it, but I think that the actors were coming from a, a sincere place. Yeah. yeah. You can hear that in the performance. Yeah. What have you been doing professionally since the remake of Resident Evil? Um, I've been writing. 
and I've written screenplays and I've had a couple optioned and I just finished a book that I wrote with my brother and by the time this podcast is aired it will be on Amazon and it's called A Night in Jail and it's about my brother's true life experiences as a seriously mentally ill drug addict and dealer who was homeless and went to jail 18 times and so we felt like there was a message there and so uh, we made a book and it's almost almost done I'm so excited and we also made it into a short film and I'm thrilled to say that Michael Madsen was in it and his son Max Madsen and so that's we're submitting that to festivals right now. Oh wow! Obviously, in itself, quite you know harrowing and very challenging subject matter. Yeah. But then to bring that to the screen with such yeah. a close family member, yeah. I don't know if if that had particular challenges or also particular benefits to the situation that that brought. Yes, both, both. Um, and you know when things weren't going exactly as. I, as the writer, <laughs> and yeah. and the sister wanted them to go. That yeah. became, you know, was a challenge for me. And when you're working as a group, everybody's got their roles, and the writer's job is done at that point. And hmm. so it that was hard. I would be like that. That's not what I <laughs> wrote, and I just had to zip the lip, and you know go uh, in the back. And so, and because it was personal, you know, it's a fictional story inspired by true events. Um, But nonetheless, this story was very important to me. Um, Yeah. And so um, there was that um, intensely personal for me, but at the same time, because it was a family story, you know, Michael Madsen and his son, we all, we all agreed this was a family project and my sister was there. She was a producer. Her son was an actor in it. And you guys, he is amazing in it. He, uh, he comes in at the end. And so, and then my stepson wrote a song for it. I mean, it, so it was a real, and my dad was a producer as well. So there was a, it was a big family element and, and Michael Madsen and Max Madsen were like that as well. I mean, they were just so warm and gave so much of themselves. Their performances are amazing. Michael Madsen in it is just so good. We have a website. So if you wanted to go and look at the website in the meanwhile, because you can't see the film yet, it's www.anightinjailashortfilm.com. And um, you can see pictures and hear the song and the subject matter is quite serious. It's about drugs and mental illness. And, um, you know, is there possibly a relationship between the two? And um, I think that just, you know, with marijuana being legalized in the state of California uh, mm. coming up here, it's a really good time just to stop and talk, you know, and yeah. to be very serious about this. And especially the effect that it has on a developing brain. You know, it's one thing if you're 25 and you want to drink and do other drugs or whatever you want to do. You know, your brain is fully formed. It's a house. It has been made. But if you're a youngster and the average age of kids who start doing drugs is 10 or 12 and the brain is not formed, you know, it, there there are some things you can't go back on. So, yes. So, yes, um, that's the message I'd like to get out to the world. Addressing the challenges of life. Life is hard enough. As, you know, George and I have talked about, we've had our own struggles. But to possibly do something to our brains makes it just that much harder when we are young. And so that's all I'm saying is let's just wait and be older and wiser before we start introducing these substances to ourselves. And I know I did it. When I was younger and I, you know, (laughs) I wish I had not because I, you know, I've had my own issues in life and I, you know, and based on some of the research that I've seen, could it be part of the contributing factor? Since it's a question, why take the risk? That's what I'd like to say. So thank you for that. I had seen the project, but I didn't realize how personal it was to you. So 
you know, yeah. this, this sheds a whole new light on it. Thanks for, you know, thanks for making us aware. Yes. And my, I'm really grateful to say that my brother is alive and well and able to talk about it. And, you know, obviously he's the one that uh, provided the material and I was able to, you know, put it into hopefully things that people can read or watch. So he has a lot to say. And so I'm going to be putting out more about what he has to say today, you know, as a person who is sober and in treatment, his life is about recovery. And so he's got a lot of wise things to say about it. So I'll be sharing more of that. The book is called A Night in Jail, and it will be on Amazon. And the short film is called A Night in Jail as well. And the website for that is a night in jail, a short film.com. Did you want to ask about Michael Masden, Andrew? I can feel uh, Mr. Mr. Blonde. <laughs> I can oh, feel you itching yeah. too. Isn't he so amazing. I mean, that ear scene is just, it's unforgettable, isn't it? And, yeah. Every time I watch that movie, he dies. I'm so gutted. I'm like, oh, no, he's got to come back. <laughs> <laughs> Every time somehow the Reservoir Dogs gets referenced, like with my dad in the room, my dad has a great sense of humor, but he always he always brings that up. He always pretends to hold the ear. He's like, can you hear me now? Oh. <laughs> like he always jokes about it. I'm like, oh, stop. <laughs> oh, oh, my gosh. You know, well, he well, he's a living legend and he's and so, you know, he arrived on the set. We we shot in an actual working jail. And so the inmates... Oh, my God, you went to jail with Michael Master. <laughs> yes, you're... Well, you're yeah. Jill Valentine, so, yes. yeah. And, uh, and so they displaced the inmates to a different section. And so we were, you know, given a full suite of jail cells where we could set up makeup and, you know, where Michael and Max could go and rest and work on their lines. And then we could set up, you know, in another jail. Mm -hmm. And so when they arrived in the morning, you know, they, they were dropped off and walked past us and I greeted them and I said, hello, how are you? Here's the breakfast is here. And he's like, yeah. And he said, oh, is there a place where I can go and learn my lines? I said, of course. And so I walked them back and I, and I showed them where their private area was. And, you know, it was kind of like, okay, okay, they're here. Everything's fine, you know? <laughs> and then, and then a couple of minutes later, you know, they came out and they were just sitting and then, and you could not stop the chatting for the rest of the day. He was just oh. Mr. <laughs> Chatty, Mr. Like so easygoing, so funny. Oh. I mean, and so nice. I mean, it, I think he just wanted to be sure this was going to be an okay operation. We weren't going to, you know, mess it up or anything and once he he saw that things were cool he was just i mean there were no airs and graces about him at all not at being all. on like a smaller set mm -mm, no not at all I, I remember one moment he he came off with his son after doing a particularly emotional scene and we just and we just stood there and hugged i mean it was just so intense and it was so on such a human level and there was no i'm michael madsen i'm the star and i blah 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 no none of that the so great and so was max my nephew who is in it he you will just love him he's so good one day you'll you'll get to see it his name is cooper ramsey and he's a very talented actor he went to the neighborhood playhouse and then we had this other wonderful producer also actress katherine hernacki who played the officer so it was a very small cast a joy. A real joy. Oh, fantastic. Are you in it by chance? I am not. Okay. I am not. You should have made a cameo as uh, one of the officers who in a uh, berry. <laughs> right? <laughs> Wesker. <laughs> just, co just come right in with the beret on and everything. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's been a big, it's been a big, busy year for me. And so I'm, I'm thrilled to be finishing that. And it was just just such an honor for me to hear from you guys and to feel like somebody somewhere has been touched by something that I've done, you know, because doing all of this, you know, it's, it's just been a lot, a lot of work and I may get panned universally. <laughs> and so it's <laughs> nice to be appreciated. So Well, it's our pleasure because you have equally impacted on us and your performance and the portrayal of the character has, has really affected us and then to so generously give so much of your time and to, again, I just want to reiterate, as someone who wasn't a gamer and wasn't in this industry, to then really, you know, sincerely and genuinely 
you know, research the character. And um, it, it's a privilege for us. We're starting with a few questions by Yoke, who's from North America, and he always asks these esoteric and eccentric questions, but that often actually relate back to the particular character. Yeah. So be prepared. Yeah. <laughs> Yoke asks, can you pick a lock and what is your favourite sandwich? <laughs> <laughs> um, I cannot pick a lock. And I like I like a grilled vegetable sandwich with goat cheese. <laughs> <laughs> that would probably be my favorite. I'm getting hungry now. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, brilliant. And I think kind of on that subject, the next question is, is is kind of in that vein, isn't it? Yeah, it is in the same vein. Uh, can you play the piano or any musical instrument? No, nothing. You didn't do method acting then? <laughs> no, never did. And my mother was a concert pianist, so. Well, there you nope. go. There's the correlation. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Somehow, somehow. I grew up with music, but didn't play it myself. This is for me. Any particular time when traveling to another part of America, say, or another part of the world, any of that traveling which influenced your character or attitudes? When I graduated from college, I grew up in Seattle, Washington, and I graduated from the University of Washington. And I moved to New York several months later without ever having been there. I just, <laughs> I set my boxes. I just picked up and moved. I mean, it was just the craziest thing. And, and I really feel like that's something that I share in common with the character Jill Valentine is just, you got to do what you got to do and you just go. Don't think about it. Just go. <laughs> get the plan going and execute it, whatever those things need to be. And, you know, and I did those things. I got, I lived, you guys, this is so funny. I lived in a women's residence in Gramercy Park. Now, I don't know if you know what Gramercy Park is in New York City, but no, it's I a don't very, know. Sorry. it's a very elite area right off Park Avenue. And there's this old Salvation Army women's residence there. It's no longer there, but it was there when I moved. It was like a throwback from the 1930s where actresses and women who were single could live somewhere respectably. Because if you were a woman, you know, in the 1930s and moving to New York City on your own, you might, people might look at you sideways if you get your own apartment and stuff. But if you were in a women's residence where, you know, you had to be checked in and, you know, men were not allowed upstairs, things like that, that made it acceptable for women to go there. So anyway, so that was my first residence in New York City and I found a job and started taking acting classes. I, I was I studied with Uta Hagen for two and a half years and that was oh, incredible. Nice. Yeah, at HB Studios and I also studied with her husband Herbert. He died uh, while I was there and she came to work the next day and I was in her class that wow. next day. Yeah. Somebody came in ahead of her and said, Miss Hagen does not want to talk about it. She just wants to move forward and conduct the class as normal. And that's what we did. I mean, it was really an incredible uh, thing to witness. Yeah. So that was, is an experience that I look back on now and I say, wow, I was 20 I mean, nothing moving to New York. You got to do what you got to do. And that is something that Jill Valentine definitely does. <laughs> she does oh, what's necessary, does. you know? Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. One of the top-ranked horror games yes. ever. Your performance in this game helped make it as good as it was, so it must feel good for you. <laughs> yeah, it does. It does. Thank you. And like I said, after you know working by myself on a computer for <laughs> all these years, you know <laughs> where my artistic contribution is, you know maybe no one ever sees them. You know, to know that I've done something that someone liked, you know, it, it does feel very good. So thank you. You guys brought it to my attention, and I will be forever grateful. So thank you. Wonderful for us as custodians of this interview to be able to present it to, to that community. So thank you so very much, Heidi. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I'm just honored. I, I really am. So thank you to all of you. It's just such a lovely, lovely talk. It's been really fun for me. <laughs> really. So thank you. I just want to say, Heidi, that it's uh, it's been very lovely getting to know you and to, to hear your story. You're just very uh, lovely to talk to, and it's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you, Artie. The feeling is mutual. Now I've spoken yeah. to Jill Valentine, I can retire. <laughs> <laughs> I'm done. Me too. 
Valentine too. I heard I heard um, Bruce Springsteen on NPR. What I heard him say was, "I see, I see tape of me singing on stage," and he's like, "Yeah, I want to be that guy." <laughs> you know? And so. You know, because he's had his own, you know, road with depression and everything. And so when he can see himself being this wonderful performer, he's like, yeah, I want to be that too. And so when you say, oh, I've talked to Jill Valentine, I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, she's cool. I know what you're talking about. I could talk to you all night, Heidi. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we, we should really let you guys just okay. look at the call. We've been on just under three hours. Uh, it's been a pleasure, you guys. Thank you, Heidi. Bye, Take Artie. Care. Bye, Andrew. Bye, Paul. Stay away. Forest outside the mansion. Stay away. The BSAA received intel as to the whereabouts of Umbrella's founder. I'd rather starve to death in here than be eaten by one of those undead monsters!